It's wonderful to be able to be outside in the garden again this week and it's my privilege to bring a message from the Bible. I've called this message A New Perspective and it's part of our Standing Strong in the Storm series based on Peter's letters and we're going to listen to a reading now read to us by Jackie. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we look at this passage, that you'd give us ears to hear what you're saying, eyes to see what you're doing, and hearts to follow after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In his book, A Vision and a Vow, Pete Gregg tells the story of a distinguished art critic. His name was Robert Cumming. And he was studying a painting by the 15th century Italian master, Filippino Lippi. And he was standing in the National Art Gallery in London, looking at Lippi's depiction of Mary holding the baby Jesus, with the saints of Dominic and Jerome standing nearby. And Cummings was really troubled by the picture. There was no doubting Lippi's skill as an artist, but all the proportions of the painting seemed wrong. The hills in the background seemed exaggerated, as if they might fall out of the frame at any moment. The two saints kneeling looked awkward. And just who was Mary looking at? Cummings was not the first art critic to uh, point out these flaws in the painting, but... He just might be the last, because in a moment of revelation, he realised it wasn't the perspective in the painting that was wrong, it was his perspective. Lippi had never intended his work to be hung in a portrait gallery, but rather in a place of prayer. And suddenly, coming sank to his knees, 
and looked up at the painting. And suddenly everything fell into the right perspective. The hills, the saints, and Mary was now looking directly at him, her face illuminated with the glow of the glory of Jesus. All this time, it was not the perspective of the painting that was wrong, but of the people looking at it. Now, as followers of Jesus, we know our perspective changes when we lift our eyes to the Lord, when we seek his face. Above the waves of the circumstances of our lives that come crashing in, whether it be in prayer, in worship, whether it be sharing communion, or whether it be in reading our Bibles, we find a new perspective. We see things as they really are, as they were meant to be. And the context of this reading from Peter is his response to the critics of the church. He calls them the scoffers, skeptics. These are the kind of things they were saying. Where is your God? You keep going on about that he's coming again. Where is he? You say everything has changed, but nothing's changed. Everything carries on just as before. But Peter knows that their perspective is all wrong. He knows that everything has changed because of Jesus and that he is coming back soon to complete his work, to judge the living and the dead, to bring to fulfillment all his promises, to build a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. He wants to say to the believers, God is never late. He is always perfectly on time. And Peter reminds us in the passage here of the prayer of Moses that we find in Psalm 90 verse 4. For God's perspective on time is very different to ours. Peter says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. Wow. We could spend ages just fathoming that. To think that Jesus died two days ago in God's timing. He can see the whole sweep of history in a moment. Yet he can stretch out a day like a millennium. He is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is able to fulfill all his promises. He is the judge of all mankind. He is the loving saviour of the world. The scoffers, as Peter describes them, were trying to blow the believers off course, to doubt their faith, to doubt the promises of God. And he says to them, stand strong. Don't be moved. Look up. God is not slow in keeping his promises. God is the one who made the schedule after all. He cannot be late. He is patient. And Peter picks up this word of patience. Now, I'm sure we all get frustrated at times with God's timing. Whether it's about a new job we're looking for or a house move or a situation where we really want God to move quicker than he is. And we ask the kind of questions, where are you, God? Why the delay? Have you forgotten? But it's often when we look back and we see that God's timing was perfect. The delay was actually the right thing. It turned out to be a blessing after all. Who knew? Well, he did, of course. And Peter introduces this new perspective of God's patience. 
Now we're all familiar with the saying, patience is a virtue, meaning that ability to wait for something without getting frustrated. Now I think we all struggle with that at times. We know patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit described by Paul in Galatians, along with love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness. Patience. We know that we're called to be patient with one another, to bear with one another, because none of us are perfect. And Paul says we're to wait upon God patiently. We should always be grateful for God's patience with us. It's a sign of his kindness. I'm sure we sometimes cut a, a really comical sight, stamping our feet with the impatience we have with God, who is the creator and ruler of the universe, who is calmly going about his business and calls us to walk and work with him. In fact, Peter teaches us here that anything that looks like a delay or the slowness of God as an indication, not that we have to be patient with God, but that God is being patient with us. He tells us clearly in verse 15 of that reading, God's patience means salvation. His divine patience, God is willing to give more time for more people to be saved, to come to Christ in repentance and faith, to enter that eternal life before his return. And here Peter states these amazing words. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to be separated from him eternally, to be shut out of heaven. He wants all to be saved. He loves everyone that he has made. But he also warns here that God's patience will not last forever. He will come again, just at the right time. Like a thief in the night, as Peter quotes Jesus himself. And we need to be ready. God in his sovereignty allows us a choice. And even if some of us choose to refuse his love and his salvation, yes, he wants all to be saved, but he will never force anyone to be saved. Now we are living in extraordinary times. This pandemic has affected all our lives. In fact, it's affected the whole world. What has God been doing? What he always does. He has been saving, serving, loving, preparing, calling people to himself, preparing his church as his beautiful bride, being made ready for the day when he comes. And on that day when he comes, we will be presented to him without fault and with great joy. His slowness, sometimes we perceive as inactivity, but God is always about his work. He is working in our waiting. We're now 2,000 years on since Peter wrote this letter. And maybe the scoffers are still saying, where's your God? Where's that coming you keep talking about? Things haven't changed, but... Everything has changed because of Jesus. And God's patience is an opportunity for those who don't yet know him to come back to him. The Bible talks of a great ingathering. Peter in his revelation, uh, John, sorry, in his revelation, sees a great multitude that no one can count from every tribe and tongue and nation. 
Paul talks about the people of Israel, there'll be a great gathering in. We're living in those last days, of course. God is at work. The scoffers, the skeptics, the enemies cannot see because they refuse to fall to their knees and look up and see things from God's perspective. The scoffers look at the cross and they see failure and humiliation, a stumbling block, an offence. But we look to the cross and we see God's love and we see salvation. It's the greatest victory of all. It looked like failure, but it was God's way of saving the world. And death couldn't hold Jesus. He rose from the dead and he is coming again. The scoffers look at the church and they do not see what God sees, his beautiful bride. And whether the church be big or small, popular or unpopular, what's really important is whose church it is. It's Jesus's church. Bishop Leslie Newbigin pointed out this one day. Sometimes the church of Jesus Christ is treated as an irrelevance, he said, a marginal phenomenon. He said, this is absurd. The church has outlived great empires, philosophical systems, persecutions and tribulations. The things that occupy the whole horizon of public opinion will soon disappear. But the church of Jesus Christ, he says, will stand forever. The Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 1, all is from Christ and God raised Christ from the dead and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. There is no name, no power exempt from his rule and not just for the time being but forever. And he is the head of the church. And the church, you see, says Paul, is not peripheral to the world but the world is peripheral to the church. If we listen to the scoffers and the skeptics, we might have our eyes taken off the true perspective that God wants us to see. So today, Peter encourages us once again just to lift our eyes, to look at the cross of Christ, to see that in Jesus all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe are being put back together in perfect harmony. Peter speaks of that day when Jesus will come and all will be made new, all will be laid bare and he will recreate new heaven, new earth. And we look forward to that day and he will come just at the right time. We're going to look up this morning as we share communion together, the breaking of bread as followers of Jesus and renew our trust in him. And as we do this, we're going to listen to that amazing hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, sung uh, by Sally. I encourage you during this song to follow the instructions that will appear on the screen, to break bread, to share the cup. And although we're in our separate homes, we do this together as the body of Christ. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it 
and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come together as your church, we lift our eyes to you. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing love and sacrifice for us. As we share this bread and this cup, we remember you. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill your church again, that we might be those who bring good news. Good news of your patience with us, but also the urgency that you are longing for men and women and young people to come to know you. And we look forward to that day when you come again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.